I love the Back to the Future movies. And Back to the Future 2 is the best. It's my favorite. I remember in 1989, I was, I was young. <laughs> Nine. And I remember waiting in line at the mall to go see it. The line stretched throughout the mall. It curved around. We saw friends who were in line. It was just a big experience. Like we had been waiting our whole lives for this moment, although it had only been a year or two since the last movie. And then watching it, it was no disappointment. The flying cars, the hoverboards, the 80s cafe. I love to imagine what the future will be like. And in my mind, that's exactly what the future should be like. Flying cars, hoverboards, exactly the way it was in Back to the Future. I even married a Marty. I love the movie so much. You know, Marty, <laughs> Marty McFly. But you know, the date that Marty McFly flew to in the future was October 26. Anyone remember the year? 2015. So to imagine the future of Back to the Future is really to imagine the past. And then we just get kind of confused and our head starts to ache a bit. Yes, the future they imagine in some ways has come true. The Cubs finally won the World Series as they predicted, though it took them a year longer than they thought. And Nike last year, uh, towards the end of 2016, announced uh, the first ever self-lacing shoes uh, that were predicted from the movie, now finally for sale, and only for around 800 bucks. So, you know, that's a great deal. So we're in the future right now, according to that movie, and it's not exactly what we thought it would be. In the movie on Marty McFly's trip to the future, something happens, and I won't give away the plot for the three of you who haven't seen it yet. Come on, go home today. But Biff Tannen does something that changes the past. He's in the future, but he changes the past. And later in the future, Marty McFly's got to fly back to the past. Because if he doesn't, then his whole family in the future will be jeopardized. And so he goes way back to the past and changes the future. And I know I'm a nerd, but it's pretty amazing, really, the way it all works out. Why has this idea of time travel captured us so much? The first sort of imagining of time travel was in H.G. Wells' 1895 story, The Time Machine. And that sort of set a new course in science fiction from many books to countless movies, The Time Traveler's Wife, Hot Tub Time Machine, if you've seen that, don't admit it, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, another phenomenal movie. We love to imagine this power of time travel to see our future, to observe our past. And I think it's more than just time tourism we're after. What if we could go back? And change some things. You have your list, those things you would perhaps undo, do differently, or do for the first time. It's those mistakes, those opportunities missed. Avoid disappointment and loss. Don't we all secretly wish we had that time machine? Now, I know what you're thinking. What does this have to do with Deuteronomy 30? Perhaps nothing. I don't know. We'll find out. But you may not know this, but our text this morning is a time traveling text. This predates H.G. Wells's book, perhaps one of the first time traveling texts. For the last few weeks, we've been reading from the prophets, prophets who have looked ahead into the future. They've warned the people of what may come to them and their society if they do not change their ways. 
These prophets have called the people of Israel, God's people, back to the ways of grace and mercy, to the society that God intended to set up the fast that God desires. And with a warning, God has told them through the prophets to stop exploiting the vulnerable, taking advantage of the least in the society, or else judgment will come. That's the future, according to the prophets. But today we are way back in the past, back in the early days of Israel, before there really was a nation of Israel. Today we've shown up at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, a book that is really nothing more than a really, really long sermon. And you thought my sermons were long. Today it might be. This is a big book. The whole book is just one sermon divided into three acts. It's put into the mouth of Moses. Moses, who led the people from Egypt into the very edge of the promised land. And here they stand on the edge of the Jordan River to cross the Jordan is to enter this new promised land. And there on the edge of the river, Moses delivers this final sermon, his final sermon, a commencement speech as it was for a people who were about to graduate from wilderness wanderers to land possessing people. This final commencement sermon put into Moses's mouth provides instructions for how they should live once they enter this land. It reminds them of all that God had done. It recounts their history as emancipated Egyptian slaves. It gives us the second reading of the Ten Commandments, one more reminder of these laws. It points the people back to the promises that God made long ago to their ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the main point, the stirring conclusion to this very long sermon is our text today that Don read, chapter 30. And it's really the perfect ending to a sermon. I call heaven and earth Moses preaches. And you can hear him just just getting the energy up as he begins to yell this conclusion. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life, he says. Choose life and your descendants shall live. Now that preaches. It's the perfect ending to a sermon, but almost... A little too perfect, don't you think? A little too concise, too simplistic. Choose life and all will be well for you. Choose death and, well, you'll get what you choose. Is that how simple it really is? Is that how choices present themselves with labels on their shirts? Hello, my name is life. Hello, my name is death. Choose who you will be friends with. If it's this simple, who in their right mind picks death? No, we choose life every time. As a contemporary prophet, Eminem, once said, look, if you had one shot or one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted, one moment, would you capture it or just let it slip away? Is life really that simple? One chance to get it right. And if you blow it, well, then too bad. If you don't buy that house in the right school district, well, then your kids will never succeed in life. If you had made that catch in high school, you would have gone pro. If you'd only taken that job opportunity, if you'd only left five minutes later, the accident never would have happened. If circumstances would have been different, if the vote had gone a different way, if everything that we had ever hoped for had happened, if this one thing would have changed, if only, if only, if only, as that other contemporary prophet Cher once said, if I could turn back time. If I could find a way, I'd I'd take back those words that hurt you and you would stay. But that's the thing. You can't turn back time. 
It's too late. The damage is already done. There is no DeLorean time machine in your future. So you better get it right the first time, Moses says. Two choices, life and death, and you better pick right or else you're doomed. Now, that's what I was going to preach this week. But then I remembered that Deuteronomy 30 is a time-traveling text. It's a text that calls the people to prepare for their future while at the same time recounting their past. It looks over the promises made to their ancestors, choices that have brought them to the point where they are today. That they are a people of promise, descended from Abraham and Sarah, the first Jews who personally encounter God, to whom God reveals God's name and God makes a promise to them. God tells Sarah and Abraham and their descendants that they would one, be, one day be as numerous as the grains of sand on a seashore and they will one day possess their own land. Now travel almost 2,000 years into the future and it's not at all what they had imagined. Their descendants are as numerous as promised, but they do not have a land, not anymore. They did. Now they're in captivity after invasion by the Babylonian Empire. The temple has been destroyed. The king was thrown off of his throne, and the line of David, that promised line, interrupted forever. The majority of Jews are deported to Babylon with a few remaining And those in Babylon begin to live as strangers in a strange land, setting up new homes, new lives. It's as if the entire Jewish people hit rock bottom together. And they're at the bottom having lost their temple, their king, their nation, their land, and all that was promised. They look back, back to the past. What could they have done differently, they wonder? Where did it all go wrong? If they could turn back time, what would they change? As they reflect, they realize that no one even knows those stories anymore. They've forgotten their ancestors. Stories once passed over thousands of years through storytellers and priests, by parents to children around Passover tables, in the temple, at city gates, around campfires. But now they've been forgotten. They're no longer told. And the elders among them, the only ones who still barely remember these stories, begin to retell them once again. And they start to write them down. Some of them, for the very first time, they write down these stories Eventually, as history goes on, the people are allowed to return from Babylon. Kings change, and the new king sends them back home, back to the land of their ancestors. And there they stand at the edge of this old land, like their ancestors stood on the edge of the new land. The same land, but now it's in ruins. Everything that once was has been destroyed. But they look at it with new eyes, with new promise. The elders begin to tell these stories again. They collect the stories written down into volumes. The volumes become books, anthologies of the history of their people. Now today we call these books Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and yes, Deuteronomy. These books that are written long after the events they describe tell the story of where God's people come from, of who they are. But it's also the story of how it all went wrong. A story written by people standing in the ruins of a new land, looking back at how they got to where they got. And maybe, maybe if things could go differently, things in the future will change. That's why this is a time-traveling text, a book which tells ancient history compiled 2,000 years after the fact. As the Jews stand on the edge of a land in ruins and prepare 
to rebuild. It's as if Moses stands with these returned exiles once more, as if they had traveled back in time to this day of their ancestors, Deuteronomy 30, moments before they first entered the land. And what words do they hear echoing from the past? Moses preaches again, see, I've set before you today life. And prosperity, death, and adversity. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that your descendants may live. And these words were once given as a warning to a people beginning a new nation, a rallying cry towards life. But now they sound differently as we gaze on a land now in ruins. We're no longer naive, we've been there before. We've seen what happens. We've chosen death. Yet here we are again, back in the land of promise. We have another chance. This is a new start. The words of Moses, which once seemed so simplistic and so absolute, are in fact words of hope and grace. This is a second chance. The future is not determined But it's ours to decide. The choice, still ours to make. Our ancestors made a mistake and eventually lost it all. But that's not our story. Our story begins in this moment. We once had thought we had that one shot, one opportunity, and we blew it. But look at us. We're still alive. We may have chosen death, but God has given us life anyway. And what we went through may not have been death at all but was rebirth. It was not a tomb, but a womb, a womb that has brought us to this new moment of life. But what happens if we don't get it right this time? Is this our last chance? See, that's the funny thing about life. Every day we wake up and there it is. We do it all over again. Every day we're presented with this choice of life or death. We can get up and live or we can give up and die. And death is not the punishment for making a wrong choice. Death is what happens when we give in to the finality of our choices, when we believe there's nothing left that we can do and life is no more. Life is a choice. Death is a choice. Yes, our choices have consequences, but those consequences are not the end of the story. Sometimes things do not go as we intend for them to go. Sometimes we lose it all. Sometimes marriages end. Sometimes jobs are lost. Sometimes we can't undo what was said or done in anger, and it happens to all of us. Moses' sermon to us today is not some simplistic health and wealth gospel. Do what's right, and God will bless you. But if you don't, well, there's going to be hell to pay. That's not what he preaches And if this were the God we serve, well, then we should all just give up today because it's not going to work. We're going to mess up. Who could live up to that standard? But choosing life is something that happens when we've messed up everything, when we've fallen off the wagon and hit rock bottom, when we've made every bad choice we could possibly make in our lives, but we still get up anyway, wake up and make another choice. We choose to live, even though death may be all around us. Choosing life is picking up the pieces, dusting ourselves off, making something new out of the ruins, moving forward anyway. Choosing life is building a new home, a new life on top of the ruins of the old. Choosing life is standing defiantly against all who said your story is over. 
and that you're nothing but the consequences of bad choices. Today and every day, we're offered this invitation. I call heaven and earth to witness before you today and tomorrow and the next day. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Every day, wake up and choose life. Because your story is not finished, the future not determined, the choice is always before you. So rise from the ashes, rebuild the ruins, beautiful people, and choose life. And your choice to live will be a light to the whole world. Amen. Let us come to the table of life.